I mostly read public domain books here on Glenn Reads Books to You, and they were written a long time ago, so they're usually racist or sexist or bigoted. But in there somewhere is a story, and uh, that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist. But they might have uh, adult language or adult situations, like, uh, oh, I don't know, making sex. Uh, So that's your warning. But I'm sure you're grown up enough to handle it. Uh, Don't write to me complaining. Oh, great. You're back. You've come into my home, my home, demanding that I read books to you. Books written by horrible people. Well, welcome to the Glenn Reads Books to You mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we're going to continue to read The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, it's a book that a friend of mine, Backy Wop, uh, asked that I read roughly, oh, I don't know, two years ago. And it took me this long to finally get around to it. Uh, and you can find him over at versamilitudino.us. Uh, good luck trying to type that into the, uh, the web browser. Uh, uh, so I'll just put it in the notes. Um you'd like it. Go check him out. He's a funny guy. He writes his own short stories, which I've actually read before, and I should probably ask if I can read again. Uh, well, let's learn about the author. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. He was born September 24th, 1896, and died December 21st, 1940. He's an American novelist, essayist, uh, essayist, essayist, and short story writer. He's best known for his novels depicting the flamboyance and excess of the jazz age. A term that he popularized in his short story collection called Tales of the Jazz Age. Uh, during his lifetime, he published four novels, four story collections, and 164 short stories. Although he achieved temporary popular success and fortune in the 1920s, Fitzgerald received critical, uh, critical acclaim only after his death and is now widely regarded as one of America's greatest authors of the 20th century. Well, we're going to skip over the fun facts and the whole clock thing. I'm doing a new thing. New year, new Glen. So we're just going to dive straight into the story. So why don't you meet me down in the library and cozy yourself up as I read to you uh, The Great Gatsby. Ah, there you are. You finally made it. Uh, why don't you get yourself seated here in one of my beautiful, luxurious Naga Hyde chairs? Do you, do you like Naga Hyde? Because if you don't like sitting in a chair made of flesh, you're not going to be comfortable as I read Chapter 2. Uh, uh, about halfway between West Egg and New York, the motor road hastily joins the railroad and runs beside it for a quarter of a mile, so as to shrink away from a certain desolate area of land. This is a valley of ashes, a fantastic farm, where ashes grow like wheat into ridges and hills and, 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 and grotesque gardens, where ashes take the form of houses, chimneys, rising smoke, and finally with a transcendent effort of men who move dimly and already crumbling uh, through the powdery air. Occasionally, a line of gray cars crawls along an invisible track and gives out a a ghastly creak and comes to rest, and immediately the ash-gray men swarm up with laden spades and stir up an impenetrable cloud, which screens their obscure operations from your sight. Oh, oh, but above the gray land and the spasms of uh, bleak dust which drift 
endlessly over it. Uh, you perceive, after a moment, the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. The eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg are blue and gigantic. Their irises are one yard high. Oh, they... Oh, they look out of no face, but instead from a from a pair of enormous yellow spectacles which pass over a non-existent nose. Evidently, some wild wagon or cultist set them there to, to fatten his practice in the borough of Queens and then sank down himself into an eternal blindness or, or forgot them and moved away. But his eyes, his eyes dimmed a little by many paintless days under a sun and rain brewed on over the solemn dumping ground. The Valley of Ashes is bound on one side by a small foul river, and then the drawbridge is up, lets barges through. The passengers on, uh, on waiting trains can stare at the dismal scene for uh, as long as a half hour. There is always a halt there for at least a minute, and it is because of this that I first met Tom Buchanan's mistress. The fact that he had one was uh, insisted upon wherever he was known. His acquaintances uh, resented the fact that he turned up in popular restaurants with her and, leaving her at a table, sauntered about, eh, chatting with whomsoever he knew. Though I was curious to see her, uh, though I, was, uh, I had no desire to meet her, but I did... I went up to New York with Tom on the train uh, one afternoon, and when we stopped by the ash heaps, he jumped to his feet, and taking hold of my elbow, literally forced me from the car. We're getting off, he insisted. I, I want you to meet my girl. Um, I think he tanked up a good deal at luncheon, and his determination to have my company bordered on violence. The supercilious assumption was that on Sunday afternoon I had nothing better to do. I followed him over a low, whitewashed railroad fence, and we walked back a hundred yards along the road under Dr. Eckelberg's persistent stare. Yeah, the only building in sight was a small block of yellow brick sitting on the edge of the wasteland, a sort of a compact main street ministering it and uh, contained just absolutely nothing. Uh, one of the three shops it contained was for rent, and another was an all-night restaurant approached by a trail of ashes, and the third was a Garage uh, repairs. George B. Wilson. Uh, cars bought and sold, and I followed Tom inside. The interior was unprosperous and bare. The only car visible was the dust-covered wreck of a Ford, which had crouched in a dim corner. And it occurred to me that that this shadow of a garage must be uh, a, a, a blind, and its sumptuous and romantic apartments were concealed overhead. When the proprietor himself appeared in the door of an office, wiping his hands on a piece of waste, uh, he was a blonde, spiritless man, anemic, uh, uh, faintly handsome. Uh. And when he saw us, uh, a damp gleam of hope sprang into his light blue eyes. Oh, hello, Wilson, old man, said Tom, slapping him jovially on the shoulder. How's that? Uh, how's business? I, I can't complain, answered Wilson unconvincingly. Uh, when are you going to... What are you going to sell me that car? Well, next week. I've got my man working on it now. Works pretty slow, don't he? No, he doesn't, Sam said coldly. And if you feel that way about it, maybe I'd better sell it somewhere else after all. Well, I don't mean that, explained Wilson quickly. I just meant... And his voice faded off, and Tom glanced impatiently around the garage. Then I heard a footsteps on the stairs, and in a moment the thickish figure of a woman blocked out the light from the office door. Oh, she was in the middle thirties and faintly stout, but she carried her surplus flesh sensuously, as some women can. On her face, above a spotted dress of dark blue, uh, crepe de shine. 
Crepty Shine contain no facet of gleam. What's a Crepty Shine? I'm looking this up. Oh, I just highlighted the word crep. Let's try to get the crep to shine. There we go. Got nothing. Translation. Nothing. Dictionary. Nothing. We're just going to have to live an entire life without knowing what crep to shine means. I have a friend that's uh, multilingual, and I'm sure she's going to yell at me if she hears this. Uh, Contained no facet of gleam or beauty, but there was an immediately perceptible vitality about her, as if the... As if the nerves of her body were continuously smoldering. Oh, she smiled slowly and, walking through her husband as if he were a ghost, shook hands with Tom, looking at him, flush in the eye. Oh, then she wet her lips and, and without turning round, spoke to her husband in a soft, coarse voice. Get some chairs, why don't you, so somebody can sit down. Ah, sure, agreed Wilson, hurriedly, and went toward the little office, mingling immediately with the cement color of the walls. Oh, white ash and dust veiled his dark suit and his uh, pale hair as it veiled everything in the vicinity except his wife, who moved close to Tom. I want to see you, said Tom intently. Get on the next train. All right, and I'll meet you by the newsstand on the lower level. Uh, She nodded and moved away from him just as George Wilson emerged with two chairs from the office door. We waited for her down the road and out of sight. It was a few days before the 4th of July, and a gray, scrawny uh, uh, Italian child was uh, setting torpedoes in a row along the railroad track. Terrible place, isn't it? said Tom, exchanging a frown with Dr. Eckelberg. Awful. Uh, It does her good to get away. Doesn't her husband object? Wilson? Ah, he thinks he uh, she goes to see her sister in New York. Oh, he's so dumb. He doesn't know he's uh, he doesn't know he's alive. Yeah, so Tom Buchanan and his girl and I went up together to New York, or not quite together, for Mrs. Wilson sat discreetly in another car. Tom uh, deferred that much to the sensibilities of those East Eggers who might be on the train. Uh, she had uh, changed her dress to a brown uh, figured muslin, uh, which had stretched tight over her rather wide hips, really pointing out her body shape. Can't just give up on her body shape. I get it. She's curvy. Uh, as Tom helped her to the platform in New York and at the newsstand, she bought a copy of uh, Town Tattle, in all caps, and a moving picture magazine, and in the station drugstore, some cold cream eh, and a small uh, a flask of perfume, and upstairs in the solemn echoing drive, she let four taxicabs drive away before she selected a new one, lavender colored with gray upholstery, and in this we slid out from the mass of the station into the glowing sunshine, but immediately she turned sharply from the window and, leaning forward, tapped down the front glass. I want to get one of those dogs. She said earnestly, I want to get one for the apartment. Oh, they're nice to have, uh, Dash, a dog. We walked back up to a gray old man who bore an absurd resemblance to John D. Rockefeller. And in a basket is swung from his neck, cowered a dozen very recent puppies of an indeterminate breed. Anyway, uh, 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 what kind are they? Asked Mrs. Wilson eagerly as he came to the taxi window. Oh, all kinds. Uh, what kind do you want, lady? I, uh, I like to get one of those uh, police dogs. I don't suppose you got one of those kinds. The man peered doubtfully into the basket, plunged his hand, and drew one up, wriggling by the back of the neck. That's, that's no police dog, said Tom. No, it's not exactly a, a police dog. That's P-O-L, then capital I-C-E. That's really weird. Said the man with disappointment in his voice. It's more of an Airedale. And he passed his hand over the brown wash rag of a, of a, of a back. Uh, look, at, look at that coat. Some coat. That's a, that's a dog. Well, it'll never bother you with catching cold. 
I think it's cute, said Mrs. Wilson enthusiastically. How much is it? Uh, that dog, he looked at it admiringly. Well, that dog will cost you, uh, oh, ooh, uh, ten dollars. The Airedale, undoubtedly, there was an Airedale concern in there somewhere, though his feet were startling white, uh, changed hands and settled down into Mrs. Wilson's lap, where she, she fondled the weatherproof coat with rapture. Uh, is it a boy or a girl, she asked delicately. Oh, that dog? Uh, that dog's a boy. It's a bitch, said Tom decisively. Here's your money. Go and buy ten more dogs with it. We drove over to Fifth Avenue, so warm and soft, almost pastoral, on the summer Sunday afternoon that I wouldn't have been surprised to see a great flock of white sheep turn the corner. Hold on, I said. I have to leave you here. Hey, no, you don't, interposed Tom quickly. Myrtle will be hurt if you don't come up to the apartment. Uh, won't you, Myrtle? Uh, uh, come on, she urged. I'll telephone my sister Catherine. Uh, she's said to be uh, very beautiful by people who ought to know. Uh, I'd like to, but we went on. Cutting back again over the park toward the West Hundreds, 158th Street, the cab stopped at one slice in a long white cake of apartment houses, uh, throwing a regal homecoming glance around the neighborhood. Mrs. Wilson gathered up her dog and her other purchases and went haughtily in. I'm going to have the McKees come up, she announced as we rose in the elevator. Oh, and, uh, and of course, I got to call up my sister, too. Yes, yes. The apartment was on the top floor, and it's a small living room, a small dining room, a small bedroom and a bath. The living room was crowded uh, to the doors with a set of tapestried furniture entirely too large for it, so that to move about was to stumble continually over scenes of ladies swinging in the gardens of Versailles. Oh, the only picture was an over-enlarged photograph, apparently a, oh, a, a hen sitting on a, on a blurred rock, uh, looked at it from a distance. However, the hen resolved itself into a bonnet, and the countenance of a stout old lady beamed down into the room. Several old copies of Town Tattle, in all caps, lay on the table together with a copy of Simon Called Peter, in all caps, some of the uh, small scandal magazines of Broadway. Mrs. Wilson was first concerned with the dog. A reluctant uh, elevator boy went for a box full of straw and, and some milk which he added on his own initiative to a tin of large, hard dog biscuits, one of which uh, decomposed apathetically in the saucer of milk all afternoon. Meanwhile, Tom brought out a bottle of whiskey from a locked bureau door. Well, I've been drunk just twice in my life, and the second time was that afternoon, so everything that happened was a dim, hazy cast over it, uh, although after 8 o'clock the apartment was full of cheerful sun. Sitting on Tom's lap, Mrs. Wilson called up several people on the telephone, and then there were no cigar uh, cigarettes, and I went out to buy some at the drugstore in the corner, and when I came back, uh, they disappeared, so I sat down discreetly in the living room. Oh, gross. They're probably making out, and he's just sitting in the living room, probably listening. And, a chap uh, and I read a chapter of Simon Called Peter, in all caps. Either it was was, uh, terrible stuff or the whiskey distorted things because it didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. Just as Tom and Myrtle, after the first drink, Mrs. Wilson and I called each other by our first names, uh, reappeared, because they made out, company commenced to arrive at the apartment door. Great, they're having friends come and they both smell. They smell of the musk of coitus. The sister... Catherine uh, was a slender, worldly girl of about, oh, 30, with a solid, sticky bob of red hair and a complexion powdered milky white. Oh, her eyebrows had been plucked, 
and then drawn on again at a more uh, rakish angle. I was going to say freakish because in my head, I'm thinking about the pictures you see of people in the 19, uh, women in the 1920s and their eyebrows are just a single thin line arched over their eyes like a cartoon. Really weird. So I want to say a freakish angle, but the efforts of nature toward the restoration of the old alignment gave a blurred error to her face. When she moved about, there was an incessant clicking as innumerable pottery bracelets and jingled up and down her arms. She came in with such proprietary haste and looked around so possessively at the furniture that I wondered if she lived here. But when I asked her, oh, she oh, she laughed immoderately, repeated my question aloud, and told me she, she lived with a girlfriend in a hotel. Well, that's a good place to stop. Uh, why don't we take a moment to... Um, I don't know, I've been looking at you this entire time here in the library of my mansion, not my basement, that uh, kind of like what I see. Why don't we go up to my master bedroom, get to know each other a little bit better. Maybe I can tickle you a little bit. <laughs> I have a bed that's shaped like a heart, and it's a water bed. So why don't we go up there for a little bit where I can read to you the latest upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm, oh, oh, ooh, there you are. Dressed like some kind of sexy witch. Oh, I can see your decolletage popping out around your neck there. That's fantastic. And boy, boy, can a witch, can a witch have a, a shorter skirt than that? What kind of secrets and spells do you have? And now you're handing me a book. A uh, book's called A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon by Sarah Hawley. All right, fine. Okay. Uh, about A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon? Oh, Marielle Spark knows not to trust a demon, especially one that wants her soul. But what's a witch to do when he won't leave her side? And she uh, kind of doesn't want him to. <laughs> Marielle Spark is prophesied to be the most powerful witch seen in centuries of uh, the famed Spark family. But uh, to the displeasure of her mother, she prefers baking to brewing potions and gardening to casting hexes. Yeah, and when a spell to summon flour goes very wrong. Oh, Lord, that's like the lamest kind of magic. Marielle finds herself staring down a demon, one she inadvertently summoned for a soul bargain. Osroth the Ruthless is a legend among demons, powerful and merciless. He drives hard bargains to collect mortal souls, but his reputation has suffered ever since a bargain went awry. And if he can't strike a bargain with Mariel, he will earn back his deadly reputation. Osroth can't leave Mariel's side until he completes a bargain, which she refuses to do. Turns out some humans are attached to their souls. <laughs> that's in parentheses, that's fun. But the witch is funny and curvy. And disgustingly yet endearingly cheerful. Becoming awkward roommates quickly escalates when Mariel, uh, terrified to confess the inadvertent summoning to her mother, blurts out that she's, uh, oh, I don't know, dating Osroth. As Osroth and Mariel struggle with their opposing goals and maintaining a fake relationship, real attraction blooms between them. Oh, but Osroth has a limited amount of time to strike a deal, and if Mariel gives up her soul, oh, she'll lose all her emotions, including love which will only spell disaster for them both. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. That's A, a Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon by Sarah Howley. It's uh, coming out in paperback for 17 bucks, March 7th. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, uh, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, Powell's Target, and Walmart. Well, with that, uh, the premise sounds like horse shit. 
and now I'm no longer horny. Your outfit is fantastic, and if you didn't make me read uh, the preview to this book, I would have enjoyed my time with you here in the master bedroom on my heart-shaped waterbed, which is very difficult to buy because things with tight corners like that tend to leak all the time. But, uh, nope, I'm done. Why don't we go back downstairs to the library and pretend like this never happened? Well, there you are. It came back down. Still wearing the outfit, which is kind of sad to look at. I don't look so defeated. It's not my fault you provided a book that does not arouse me in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you can blame yourself. Well, let's continue reading. Mr. McPhee was a pale, feminine man from the flat below. Oh, he had just shaved, for there was a white spot of lather on his cheekbone, and he was the most respectful in his greeting to everyone in the room. He and, uh, burp, informed me that he was in the, quote, artistic game, unquote, and I gathered later that he was a photographer and had made a dim enlargement of Mrs. Wilson's mother, which hovered like ectoplasm on the wall. His wife uh, was shrill, languid, handsome, and horrible. She told me with uh, pride that her husband had uh, photographed her 127 times since they'd been married, eh? That's a lot of times. Mrs. Wilson had charged her costume uh, some time before and charged, changed. I meant to say changed. Let's just pretend I said changed the first time. And now uh, attired in an elaborate afternoon dress of cream-colored chiffon. Uh, which gave out a, a continual rustle as she swept about the room. Uh, with the influence of the dress and her personality had also un, uh, un, undergone a change, uh, the intense vitality that had been so remarkable in the garage was uh, converted into impressive hauteur. Mm, uh, yes. Oh, oh, her laughter. Oh, her gestures. Her assur assertions uh, became more violently affected moment by moment. And as she expanded, the room grew smaller around her until she seemed to be revolving on a noisy creaking pivot through the smoky air. Oh, my dear, she told her sister in a high, mincing stout, uh, stout shout. What's going on with me? I can't read anymore. I think I'm having a stroke. Most of these fellows will cheat you every time. All they think of is money. I had a woman up here last week to look at my feet. And when she gave me the bill, all you thought she had my appendix out. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, what is the name of the woman? Asked Miss McKee. Uh, Mrs. Herberhart. Uh, she goes around looking at people's feet in their homes. I like your dress, remarked Mrs. McKee. I think it's adorable. Mrs. Wilson rejected the compliment by raising her eyebrow in disdain. It's just a crazy old thing, she said. I just slip it on sometimes, and I don't care what I look like. Yeah, but it looks wonderful on you, if you know what I mean, pursued Miss McKee. If Chester could only get you into that pose, I think he could make something of it. Oh, we all looked in silence at Mrs. Wilson, who removed a strand of hair from over her eyes and looked back at us with a brilliant smile. Mr. McKee regarded her intently with his head on one side and then moved his hand back and forth slowly in front of his face. I should change the light, he said after a moment. I'd like to bring out the modeling uh, uh, of the features, and I'd try to get a hold of all the back hair. What? The back hair? No, I wouldn't think of changing the light, cried Miss McKee. I think it's... Her husband said, shh, and we all looked at the subject again. 
Whereupon, Tom Buchanan yawned audibly and got to his feet. You McKees guys have something to drink, he said. Get some more ice and mineral water, Myrtle, before everyone goes to sleep. I told that boy about the ice, Myrtle raised her eyebrows in despair at the shiftlessness of the lower orders. These people, you have to keep after them all the time. And she looked at me and laughed pointlessly. Then she flounced over to the dog, kissed it with ecstasy, and swept into the kitchen, implying that a uh, dozen chefs awaited her orders there. I've done some nice things out on Long Island, asserted Mr. McKee. Tom looked at him blankly. Two of them have, uh, we have framed downstairs. To what? demanded Tom. Two studies. Uh, one of them I call, in all caps, Montauk Point, the Gulls. And the other I call, in all caps, Montauk Point, the Sea. The sister Catherine sat down beside me on the couch. Do you live down on Long Island too? She inquired. Uh, I live at West Egg. Uh, really? I was down there at a party uh, about a month ago at a man named Gatsby's. Do you know him? I live next door to him. Oh, well, they say he's a nephew or a cousin of Kaiser Wilhelm's. That's where all his money comes from. Really? And she nodded. I'm scared of him. I'd hate to have uh, him get anything on me. <laughs> this absorbing information about my neighbor was interrupted by Mr., uh, Mrs. McKee pointing suddenly at Catherine. Chester, uh, I think you could do something with her. And she broke out, but Mr. McKee only nodded in a bored way and turned his attention to him. And I'd like to do more work on Long Island if I could get the entry. All I ask is that they should give me a start. Uh. Ask Myrtle, said Tom, breaking into a sh uh, short, sh uh, shout, short shout of laughter. As Mrs. Wilson entered into the train, I'll, uh, I'll give you a letter of introduction, won't you, Myrtle? Do what? she asked, startled. Uh, you'll give McKee a letter of introduction to your husband so he can do some studies of him. And his lips moved silently for a moment as, as he invented George B. Wilson at the gasoline pump, in all caps, or something like that. Catherine leaned close to me and whispered in my ear, uh, Neither of them can stand the person they're married to. Uh, can't they? Can't stand them. She looked at Myrtle and then at Tom. What I say is, why go on living with them if they can't stand them? If I was them, I'd get a divorce and get married to each other right away. Uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't she like Wilson either? Yeah. The answer to this was unexpected. It came from Myrtle, who had overheard the question and was a violent and obscene. You see, cried Catherine triumphantly. Oh, she lowered her voice again. It's really his wife that's keeping them apart. She's a Catholic, and they don't believe in divorce. Daisy was not a Catholic, and I was a little shocked at the elaborateness of the lie. Uh, when they do get married, continued Catherine, oh, they're going to go live west for a while until it blows over. Now, I'd be more discreet to go to Europe. Oh, do you like Europe? Uh, she exclaimed surprisingly. I just got back from Monte Carlo. Really? Uh, just last year. I went over there with another girl. Stay long? No. Just went to Monte Carlo and back. And went back out to Mas uh, Marcel's. And we had over $1,200 when we started. Uh, but we, we got gypped. Chipped out of it all in two days in the private rooms. Oh, we had an, an awful time getting back. And I can tell you, God, how I hated that town. The late afternoon sky bloomed in the window for a moment like a like the blue honey of the Mediterranean. And then the shrill voice of Miss McKee called back to me in the room. I, I almost made a mistake, too, she declared vigorously. I almost married a... Oh, God, a little... Uh, I probably shouldn't say that word out loud again. I feel like that's so bad 
Maybe I should bleep it out. It starts with the letter K, and it's a, a derogatory term for a Jewish person who had been after me for years, and I knew he was below me. Oh, everyone kept saying to me, Lucille, that man's way below you. But if I hadn't met Chester, oh, he'd have got me sure. Yes, but listen, said Myrtle Wilson, nodding her head up and down. At least you didn't marry him. <laughs> I know, I didn't. Well, I married him, said Myrtle ambiguously, and that's the difference between your case and mine. Why did you, Myrtle? demanded Catherine. Nobody forced you to, and Myrtle considered. I married him because I thought he was a gentleman, she said finally. I thought he knew something about breeding, but he uh, wasn't fit to lick my shoe. Well, you were crazy about him for a while, said Catherine. Crazy about him, cried Myrtle incredulously. Who was I crazy about him? Eh, Who said I was crazy about him? I was never any more crazy about him than I was about that man there. She pointed suddenly at me, and everyone looked at me accusingly. And I tried to show my expression that I had played no part in her past. The only crazy I was uh, was when I married him. I knew right away I had made a mistake, and he borrowed somebody's best suit to get married in, and he never even told me about it. And then the man came after him one day when he was out. Oh, oh, is that your suit? I said. This is the first I ever heard about it, but I gave it to him, and then I laid down, and I uh, cried uh, to beat the band all afternoon. No, she really ought to get away from him, resumed Catherine to me. Oh, they've they've been living over in that garage for 11 years, and Tom's the first sweetie she ever had. The bottle of whiskey, a second one, was now in constant demand by all present, except to Catherine, who, who, quote, felt just as good on nothing at all. And Tom rang for the janitor and sent him for some celebrated sandwiches, which were a complete supper in themselves, and I wanted to get out and walk southward toward the park through the soft twilight. But each time I tried to go, I became entangled in some wild, strident argument which pulled me back as if uh, with ropes into my chair. And yet high over the city, our line of yellow windows must have contributed their share of human secrecy to the casual watcher in the darkening streets. And I uh, was him too, looking up and wondering. I was within and without, simultaneously enchanted and repelled by the inexhaustible variety of life. Myrtle pulled her chair close to mine, and suddenly her warm breath poured over me at the story of her Tom uh, meeting with Tom. Oh, it was a, yeah, it was on the the two little seats facing each other that are always on the last ones of the train. Oh, I was going to, uh, to New York to see my sister and spend the night. And burp, he had on a dress suit and patent leather shoes. Oh, I couldn't keep my eyes off him, but every time he looked at me, I had to pretend to be looking at the advertisement over his head. When we came into the station, he was next to me, and his white shirt pressed against my arm. And so I told him I'd have to call a policeman, but I, he knew I lied. <laughs> I was so excited that when I got to a taxi with him, I, I did not really know I wasn't getting into a subway train. All I kept thinking about over and over was... Hey, you can't live forever. Uh, you can't live forever. She turned to Mrs. McKee, and the room rang full of her artificial laughter. Oh, my, my dear, she cried. I'm going to give you this dress as soon as I'm through with it. I've got to get another one tomorrow. I'm going to make a list of all the things I want to get. A massage and a wave and a collar for the dog. And uh, one of those uh, cute little ashtrays where you uh, touch a spring in the wreath with a black silk bow for Mother's grave. That'll be last summer. I got a, 
I gotta write down a list so I won't forget all the things I want to do. That was uh, 9 o'clock, and almost immediately afterward, I looked at my watch and found it was 10. Mr. McKee was asleep in a chair with his fists clenched in his lap like a, like a photograph of a man of action. Uh, taking out my handkerchief, I wiped from his cheek the remains of the spot of dried lather that had worried me all afternoon. Uh, the, the little dog was sitting on the table looking with blind eyes through the smoke and from time to time groaning faintly. People disappeared and reappeared and made plans go somewhere and then lost each other and searched for each other and then uh, and found each other a few feet away. And sometime toward midnight, Tom Buchanan and Mrs. Wilson stood face to face discussing in impassioned voices, whether Mrs. Wilson had any right to mention Daisy's name. Daisy! Exclamation point. Daisy! Daisy! shouted Mrs. Wilson. I'll say it whenever I want to. Daisy! Day! M dash! Making a short, deft movement, Tom Buchanan broke her nose with his open hand. Then there were bloody towels upon the bathroom floor and women's voices scolding and high over the confusion, a long, broken wail of pain. Mr. McKee awoke from his doze and started to daze toward the door. When he had gone halfway, he turned around and stared at the scene. His wife and Catherine scolding and consoling as they stumbled here and there among the crowded furniture with articles of aid and uh, the despairing figure on the couch, bleeding fluently and trying to spread a copy of uh, Town Tattle over the tapestry of the scenes in Versailles uh, when uh, then Mr. McKee turned and continued on out the door. Taking my hat from the chandelier, I followed. Uh, Come to lunch some day, he suggested as we groaned down the elevator. Uh, Where? Yeah, anywhere. Keep your hands off the lever, snapped the elevator boy. I beg your pardon, said Mr. McKee with dignity. I didn't know I was touching it. All right, I agreed. I'll be glad to. I was standing beside his bed, and he was sitting up between the sheets, clad in his underwear, with a great portfolio in his hands. Ah, beauty and the beast. Loneliness. Old grocery horse. Brooklyn Bridge. That was weird. That's in quotes, with a bunch of dots between each one. Uh, then I was lying half asleep at the cold lower level of the Pennsylvania station, staring at the morning Tribune and waiting for the four o'clock train. Well, that's the end of that claptrap. Uh, why don't we head down to the smoking room and review what the hell we just read? Oh, and I can tell you all about how horrible this author is. Oh, there you are. You finally came down. Uh, Why don't you have yourself uh, a cigarette here in the smoking room as I tell you all about how much of a monster uh, Fitzgerald was to... Oh, Christ, it's those damn birds. uh, To his uh, wife, uh, Zelda. You want to hear about that? Sure you do. I promised it to the beginning of the story. Uh, During the initial years of their relationship, Scott was working on the book This Side of Paradise which he would end up rewriting just so that he could base one of the characters on Zelda. As the relationship progressed, so did Zelda's role in Scott's writing. Zelda allowed him to read her diaries, from which the writer copied entire excerpts to include his books without acknowledging her contributions. Later, when Zelda, delirious after the birth of her first daughter, said, I hope she's beautiful and silly, a beautiful little fool. Scott wrote those words as coming from the mouth of the character Daisy in his book The Great Gatsby. 
Over-the-top parties carried them into a period marked by infidelity, money issues, and arguments, often caused by Scott's jealousy. And when Scott was set to publish The Beautiful and the Damned in the New York Tribune, he asked Zelda to write a review of the book of the newspaper. In her scathing article, Zelda detailed the first time uh, what had been going on since they had first become an item. In quote, It seems to me that one page I recognized the portion of an old diary of mine which mysteriously disappeared shortly after my marriage, and also scraps of letters, which, though considerably edited, sound to me vaguely familiar. In fact, Mr. Fitzgerald, I believe that's how he spells his name, seems to b- believe that plagiarism begins at home. When Zelda began to receive requests to write books and articles, Scott became increasingly resentful. Zelda ended up meeting and falling in love with a French pilot, Edouard Hosan, or something. I don't know how you pronounce it. When she asked her husband for a divorce so she could start a new life with her new love, Scott not only refused, but locked her in the house until she withdrew the request. Shortly thereafter, Zelda attempted suicide for the first time. In 1932, while in a hospital, she wrote a full-length semi-autobiographical novel called Save Me the Waltz and sent it to Scott's publisher. When Scott read it, he was furious and sent her multiple letters reprimanding her for what she had written. His reaction was due to the fact that he had been planning to use the same material for his book Tender as the Night which he would not finish for uh, oh, another two years. In order to have enough material for his novel, uh, Scott forced Zelda to edit out what he wanted to use from her book. This heavily edited version was published without success. Ironically, her own husband joined in with the bad reviews, calling Zelda a third-rate writer and labeling her work plagiarism. This is the reason why I hate this man. He steals from her and then turns around and says, uh, accusing her of what had been uh, he had been doing for much of their marriage. Uh, Save Me the Waltz is the only work she published during her lifetime. Zelda was terribly disappointed by how it was received, uh, which would sink her even further. Years after Scott's death, Zelda, once again in the hospital, began writing another novel despite what she went through with Save Me the Waltz. The title of her new novel was Caesar's Things. However, uh, she was unable to finish it. She was killed when a fire broke out in a room that she was locked in while awaiting uh, electroshock therapy. This poor woman, clearly the creative force in their relationship, because this guy can't stop stealing from her all the time, uh, tries to write her own book. He prevents her from doing it, makes her take out all the good parts so he can put it in his book. I... So, there you go. This man is a horrible... Basically, everyone that ever wrote a book before 1990 was just a horrible human being. Well, with that, why don't we uh, review what we just read? Um, Chapter begins with a description of a deep, wide pile of ashes uh, between the road and the train in New York. Uh, The ashes just even being the people in the area. An elderly billboard put up... uh, He says by an occultist, which I don't really know if it's really an occultist, just... He's just being a jerk. Uh, The image is highlighted by a pair of watchful eyes. Uh, Nick says that he uh, first met Tom's mistress by the billboard, which is very symbolic. And on the train to New York, Tom quickly kicked him off uh, to a used car dealership run by an awkward George Wilson. Myrtle appears and goes straight to Tom, uh, who says that she wants to go into the city. Uh, So then they do. Myrtle uh, then uh, gets a dog and throws together a party and invites her sister for whatever reason. Uh, And over the course of the afternoon and evening, large amounts of alcohol and cigarettes were consumed. 
Uh, Myrtle gets real, real annoying. Uh, Nick hears from Catherine that Daisy and Tom hate each other and we're going to get divorced because Daisy's a Catholic. Daisy is not a Catholic. Uh, meanwhile, the alcohol keeps going and uh, Myrtle, which is, uh, that's, that's just a beautiful name, uh, flat out talks about how Tom uh, makes her wet. Later, uh, she and Tom argue over whether she's uh, able to keep Daisy's goddamn name out of her mouth. And Tom doesn't like her name in Myrtle's mouth, so he slaps her and breaks her nose. And then everyone gets upset, and then uh, Nick leaves, and then he just winds up going home. Uh, what's good? Uh, you know, as much as this guy steals from his wife, uh, he can write well, so it's easy to understand what's going on. And uh, again, fleshed out characters. I hate all of them, but you got fleshed out characters. Uh, what sucks that he stole most of this from his wife and uh, that I hate all the characters. Uh, what do we learn? Well, this chapter introduces two key symbols. The pile of ashes, which represent death and destruction, and the billboard with eyes, which represent Nick and the reader's watchfulness. Uh, the Wilsons symbolize a perverted American dream. Eh, that's where I got that from. And the heartlessness and ruthlessness that drive it, with Mr. Wilson representing the hard-working every man and Mrs. Wilson representing the dangers of pursuing the dream too passionately. Burp. The New York party uh, foreshadows the second party. Uh, and the emotional violence that will occur. Uh, each party has increasing amounts of tension and drama, with violence, of course. Uh, and Nick's journey of transformation begins here as he realizes the corrupt nature of Tom's version of his dream life uh, through the behavior of Mrs. Wilson and her sister's lies. So there you go. Uh, chapter 2, Everything's Gross. My wife's got me watching a lot of Vanderpump Rules, trying to get me all caught up, because just this week, suddenly something happened in Vanderpump Rules, and everyone's talking about it. So I've been watching these shallow, horrible people that I just wish you could just lock into a building and just start the building on fire. But you can't, because that's not legal. Uh, but they still exist. They've been doing this for 10 years, cheating on each other, having drug and drinking problems, and then cheating on each other some more, and then drinking a lot and then they just keep doing it and they've been doing it for 10 years nobody grows no one develops over time and improves uh, and that's basically this story too i think the fact that i've been watching so much vanderpump rules makes me stressed out reading this goddamn book oh thank god there's a grandfather clock i can't get rid of it completely used to be in the beginning of the show not put it at the end of the show why just because I'm trying to do something new. Uh, so there's people that actually care about the grandfather clock. So relax. There it was. Uh, the grandfather clock uh, is supposed to tell me to shut up and, uh, I don't know, go to bed. And uh, you should go to bed and leave me the hell alone. Stop coming over here to make me read to you. Why don't you just go read something yourself, for God's sake? Uh, well, thanks for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, uh, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. 
which uh, basically just points you to Mastodon. Why did I go all in with Mastodon? I have no idea. But if you go there, it'll uh, point you to my link tree where you can listen to episodes. Which is confusing uh, and meticulous. Uh, but if you want to go to just my link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Nuzzle House, it'll uh, point you to all the rest of my shows. Like uh, Glenn Reads Books to You, which you're listening to right now. Uh, just Stating the Curious Mind, where my wife and I uh, write uh, paranormal smut and then publish it on Amazon. And also Nuzzle House's CBS Radio Mystery Theater, where we basically create our own episodes of Radio Mystery Theater, a show from the 70s, uh, because they don't make them anymore. Damn it, we want to hear something new. Oh, I'm also on Instagram, uh, something that I try to use but dislike, which is uh, Instagram.com slash House Nuzzle. And uh, the lesser now, thanks to uh, Elon Musk, uh, Twitter. Used to be my home, and now I can't stand it, which is uh, Twitter.com slash House Nuzzle. And since since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.Nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a nerdling or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. 